plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, welcome, Power Partners. This is the informational playground, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We're brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. And we're coming to you live on the Voice American Network, the Empowerment Channel. I am your host, Cynthia Bryan. And uh, the miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be the Star You Are, which will be having a booth at the uh, Prepare and Wine Festival coming up in September. You can sponsor if you'd like, and you can go to be the star you are.org. Um, this is the sources unknown. If old men told the truth about war, young men would never go. And I thought that is such a good uh, a good quote for today. Well, um, in today's show, we're going to be talking about um, that little bit of alcoholic beverage, that drink a day that is supposed to be good for your heart. Is it really? There is some new research out, so we will be discussing that. And the monarch butterfly is at risk of extinction, and it has such an interesting migration, a two-way migration, that it does from the eastern North America to the Sierra Madre Mountains in Michoacan, Mexico. How do they do it, and what can we do to ensure the survival of of these uh, gorgeous uh, butterflies, these monarch butterflies. So that'll be in our second and third segment. And coming up right now, I want to talk about the new thing in fabrics. But before I do, I just want to say I've treated myself with uh, a root beer before the show. Actually, a root beer float. There's nothing better than a root beer float when you're having a bad day. And I've been having a bad day because um, some mean person hacked my LinkedIn account and it is gone. So if there's anybody that knows uh, anything about LinkedIn, how to get in touch with them, I'm sure they could recover it for me. But somebody actually got in there, put their own picture on there. And then today it's either hidden or it's deleted. And I am going to miss all the people that I am connected to. And after, I was at 14 years, I've been on LinkedIn. It'll be very difficult to recreate all that. So if you know anything about it, please be in touch with me. That would be fantastic. I would appreciate it. You can go to my website, CynthiaBryan.com, and contact me there. Well, I don't know what you think about all the fabrics, or have you ever thought about how leather is tanned or how fabrics are made? You know, it takes a lot of resources to raise and slaughter the cattle 
or, you know, the lambs or whatever it is, the animal that is being used. And then there's a lot of toxic chemicals that are used in the tanneries that can endanger the workers and pollute the land and the waterways. And what people don't ever think about is those workers working on these leather products and the smell. So if you've ever been to a tannery, you'll know what I'm talking about. So there has to be a way to support the fashion industry that is not so destructive to the planet. And there are actually people out there that are working on that solution. And they have decided that, you know, if we have a problem, let's find a solution. And I salute them. So of these solution seekers, they're driven to change the clothes we wear by offering a new range of materials and textiles. And what we're talking about, we're not talking about just like, you know, organic cotton or recycled fibers uh, because they help. Yes, they do help, but they don't go far enough. What luxury brands are now test driving are these really innovative materials that waste less, they wear better, and they may substantially improve the industry's social and environmental impact. It's actually called alt-fabric research, like alternative, you know, A-L-T, alt-fabric research. And it's a very hot topic today. It is driven by concerns over high-demand textiles. So besides the leather production's toxic chemicals, you know, cotton also requires vast amounts of land, pesticides, Polyester is driven from petroleum, and it has also been found to shed tiny plastic microfibers when you put them in the wash, and then that pollutes the waterways, and it also enters our food chain. So what are some of the alternatives that are looking promising? And you might kind of laugh uh, when I tell you what they are, because most of these would seem more at home in your grocery cart than in your closet. So one of the first ones is uh, pineapple leaves. They can be used to make a durable, supple mesh, and they can finish it with like a leather, a leather-like top layer. And they actually call it pineapple leather. Um, it, it was founded by Ananas Anam, and Ananas, you know, actually means pineapple, and they make something called uh, piña tex. But the the great thing, it repurposes the waste of pineapple harvest, and now Chanel, Hugo Boss, Paul Smith, H and M, and Nike, they are all using piña tex. Now, mushrooms are another one. You know about mushrooms. They're, they're mycelium. They're, those are those underground thread-like filaments. If you dig in your dirt, you'll see like white threads in there. You probably think, what is that? It's mycelium, and it's actually really good. It's actually how plants talk to each other. But they also produce mushrooms, and mushrooms can make a leather-like material. Milo is what they're considering a promising mushroom leather, and it is produced by a California startup called Bolt Threads. And Stella McCartney is actually debuting it in her bustiers and her trousers. Adidas is doing it with the Stan, uh, yeah, Stan Smith sneakers. And Lululemon is making yoga mats out of it. The next one is roses, and I like this one a lot because 
Traditional silk is derived from silkworms. And I used to raise silkworms when my kids were little. It was really fun to watch them weave their silk. But the silkworms are usually killed to make the silk. Now, rose petal silk comes from waste petals. Byte Studios, it's a rising brand. It's in London and Stockholm. And they are featuring this fabric in their dresses and their separates. Another one, coffee grinds. A lot of people have coffee grinds. So uh, Java Rejuvenators are including the Finnish label Renz Originals. They're offering uh, sneakers that have like a coffee-infused upper. And then there's the Oregon-based Keen Footwear, and they're doing soles and the footbeds. And then in Taiwan, there's a textile company called Sing Text. And they're making yarn for sports gear that reportedly offers natural anti-odor properties and UV protection. That, that really sounds good, the, the UV ray protection. I like this one a lot because, you know, we grow grapes. The Italian company, it's called uh, Viegas Leather, and it is created from an Italian winery grape west. Uh, and if you're wondering what uh, winery, what any grape waste is, that's the leftover stems and seeds and skins, you know, after they have taken the juice from the grapes. And the what's happening with this is they're their kind of leather, their grape leather, it has popped up on H&M boots and on eco-friendly brands like Pangea sneakers. Another one, stinging nettle. Uh, at London Fashion Week, this actually happened in 2019, the British label Vin Plus Omni showed dresses made of nettle harvested from Prince Charles Highgrove Estate, and they spun it into yarn. Now, Pangea, again, currently uses nettle along with other fast-growing plants like eucalyptus and bamboo and seaweed in its new uh, pint fiber collection. They make hoodies and tees and track pants and shorts. Don't you find this fascinating? I really, really do. Banana leaves. So, musa fiber, which is made from banana leaves, is water and tear resistant. And it has been used in H&M sneakers, Pangea's fruit fiber line of tees, shorts, and dresses. And it features a fiber that is derived from banana, pineapple, and bamboo. So, the ultimate challenge for these innovators is getting the buy-in from not only designers, but also from consumers. So the materials, all of these, the pineapple leaves, the mushrooms, the roses, the coffee grinds, the grapes, the stinging nettle, the banana leaves, um, what else was there? The pineapple, I already said pineapple, oh, bamboo. Yes, they are, uh, they are all uh, being promoted for ecological reasons. But that's not the same as appealing to practical improvements in people's daily lives, right? Because um, every brand is reading what the consumer wants and they want to deliver that because that's what sales are all about. You find the need and you fill it. So like in the 1940s and 50s, um, there was a big fashion change when buyers flipped to polyester, and that was thanks to all this advertising that was touting polyester's practical benefits, you know. So when you talk about just saving the world, um, it's, you know, it's, 
it, it, it's wonderful, but people have a hard time wrapping their hands around it. Everybody wants to say that they're making a difference, but what does that actually mean? So the good news is that sustainability and climate change are no longer theoretical, right? We know that this is happening. So it is just um, kind of amazing how many things are coming right smack in our face. You know, we have, if you want to talk about climate change and global warming, we, we have the tornadoes, the droughts, the floods, the wildfires, the food shortages, the earthquakes, the tsunamis. Um, it just goes on and on. So I think that shoppers are going to start demanding brands that wake up and realize that they need to deliver something that is going to be different, that is not so ecologically um, inclined to destruction, and that isn't going to endanger workers so that it doesn't pollute the land, the waterways, or anything else. So, you know, consumers have a huge uh, power because if the brands don't deliver, they're just going to be out of business. And But, of course, with that power comes responsibility. So the question to everyone is, what do you want to wear? Pineapple, mushrooms, roses, coffee grounds, grapes, stinging nettle, banana leaves, bamboo. I think I would wear it all except for the stinging nettle because I have been stung by stinging nettle and it doesn't feel good. But I'm sure in, you know, I'm sure it's scrubbed off so that it's probably fine. But I love all of this. I think that this is just is really something great for the future and we should all get on board. So when we come back, we're going to talk about our hearts and alcohol and are our hearts protected with that glass of red wine or, you know, uh, a, uh, some, a pint of beer or something every day. You're going to have to wait and find out. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be back in a bit, so please don't go away. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be the Star You Are. 99 gifts and be the star you are for teens buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR 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 Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. 
Are you a teenager with lots to say, but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel. And join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryant. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out. Well, thank you so much for staying with me at Star Style. Be the star you are. Well, I have a spoiler alert for you. And the new research is saying that alcohol does not protect our hearts after all. I don't know about you, but, you know, I like to have a glass of wine, usually red wine, with um, our meals. My husband and I sit down, we'll have a glass of wine, and, you know, you get to chat. And it. And we, I've always felt good about it because we think, okay, we're helping. It's supposed to be good for our heart, that red wine, right? And I know for me, growing up in a wine family where we grew grapes and made wine, I never liked wine. And everybody in my family would always have wine. In fact, the rest of the kids had wine in their baby bottles, you know, with a little water. But it wasn't until my mid-30s that I decided, okay, I want to take care of my heart because I'd read so much about it. And I started slowly learning, you know, to to have a little bit of wine. And then I decided I liked it. And of course, uh, my daughter now is a sommelier and does wine tours and wine videos and wine classes and all of that. So it's been kind of fun always knowing about all this wine. And this has been for several decades. People have believed that drinking one alcoholic beverage a day offered some protection against coronary artery disease, also called CAD, C-A-D. And it was whether you sipped that glass of wine, you know, at dinner or whether you, um, you know, had a, a, a glass of whatever your favorite beverage was or you relaxed with a beer after work. You know, people kind of felt comforted to know, oh, we're doing something healthy. You know, we're having fun. We're, we're having this um, alcoholic beverage and we're being healthier for it. Well, now it appears that all that we had believed for all this time was wrong, that we have been (laughs) led astray. Evidence from a large gene-based study found that regular consumption of any amount of alcohol actually increased the risk of both CAD and hypertension. And that was actually um, listed in JAMA, that is, um, that is a medical journal. Although light alcohol consumption was associated with minimal risk of cardiovascular disease, that's also known as CVD, the risk rose exponentially if you were a heavy drinker. So that information is just going to change the way that uh, 
patients are going to be advised and told what they can do because so many uh, physicians, especially doctors who, especially doctors who are heads of um, cardiovascular units, probably have typical patients that are high risk for CVD. And now they're going to have to urge them not only to reduce their alcohol intake, but to eliminate it probably completely because alcohol isn't as benign as all of us thought. So what went wrong or why were we wrong? The original studies finding light alcohol consumption to be cardioprotective were what they call observational. The studies can generate a hypothesis, but I guess they're not able to actually prove a cause and effect, nor are they able to tease out the role of a single risk factor. So in this case, they couldn't, you know, completely say that it was alcohol consumption, um, especially when there are other risk factors. So people who drink one alcoholic beverage a day, they mostly tend to eat a better diet. They probably exercise more, they make better lifestyle choices, and that probably is what is cons what is uh, contributing to a slight reduction in their in their global um, CVD risk. So, to what extent alcohol use factored into this outcome? I don't know. It it really couldn't be determined according to the doctors. Now, the JAMA study used a different technique, and um, this technique um, is called. Mendelian randomization, and they use this to ask, assess how genetic variants uh, that people are predisposed to would how that would happen to them. So, people who are predisposed to alcohol use correlated, you know, with that CVD, which cardiovascular disease is what CVD is. So, um, and that corresponded in. 371,500 individuals. Now, genetic variants are randomly dispute, uh, distributed when cells divide after conception, and they are passed from parents to their offspring. And they remain unchanged over an individual's lifetime. So the technique that is called Mendelian randomization can actually prove the cause. So the findings are real and they're unlikely to change. So when other confounding factors were eliminated, the researchers were able to show that alcohol consumption increased the risk for hypertension, CAD, which is coronary artery, uh, artery disease, heart attack, stroke, heart failure, and atrial fibrillation by 24 to 39%. Wow, that is really big. I mean, especially when you get to that 39%. Uh, wow, that's just a lot. So we have to make a decision now, right? Whether you're going to give up alcohol or cut back on your consumption really depends on how much risk you are willing to take. Some people just enjoy wine so much that they are willing to accept the increased risk. And the most important thing, though, is to give everyone the facts. I'm sure we're going to be reading a lot more about this in the future, because since this study just came out, 
there's going to be a lot more studies that are going to transpire. And I think we're going to probably be reading about it just in regular magazines and, you know, and articles and newspapers and all of that. So, um, so people will be able to make a better decision. So once that they can read about it, people will be able to be more educated. But what isn't known yet is how much of a person's CVD risk can be explained by their genes. Now, CVD, again, is the cardiovascular disease. Um, the current estimates suggest it could be just as little, this is the explained by genes, as 10%. Now, that means that the most risk is determined by our environment, what we eat, what we drink, what we breathe, all of that. And of course, that includes alcohol. And, you know, those are major components of our environmental exposure. So um, what doctors are telling their patients is to avoid other behaviors that are comparable or maybe less risky. For example, smoking and eating red meat. So what smoking and eating red meat, drinking seems to be in that similar magnitude. So they're going to have to include, you know, the, the drinking now as well. So the, the message in general is if you're low at risk for cardiovascular disease, probably one alcoholic beverage a day is still okay. If you're at high risk, meaning you have already known cardiovascular disease, or you are at high risk for an occur recurring event, you know, like a heart attack or a stroke or any of that, you should be aware that the, any alcohol beverage consumption is clearly linked to increasing your risk further. So it's up to you what you're going to do. I think for me, I'm still going to have, you know, a, a glass of wine, but I might make it smaller. Um, and then take some days off, something like that. But it's hard to give up something you enjoy. However, with that being said, I do want to offer a, a, something else that is good for our heart because I don't want to leave us on a negative sen sentiment. I always like to do the positive. And this is something that most people love anyway. Avocados. They are delicious. They are nutritious. And most of all, they are good for your heart. In fact, two servings of avocado a week reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke. Now, I was trying to do research on this and find out if I have two servings of avocado a week, can I, will that like balance out my glass of wine if I have that every day? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I couldn't find an answer. So, you know, dietitians have always counted avocados as a health food. I remember when I was at UCLA and I worked in a health food store and I actually started, um, I created avocado sandwiches with uh, sprouts and it's, you know, just super, super healthy sprouts and tomatoes and um, onions if they wanted it. And people absolutely loved it. Well, it was really keeping students healthy you know they it was very creamy it was high in fiber low in sugar uh, avocados are rich in monounsaturated fats that also helps lower the ldl cholesterol which is the bad cholesterol 
And avocados are also excellent sources of magnesium, folate, potassium, copper, and a lot of vitamins, K, C, E, and B6. So the new study, which is highlighting just how avocados can be as a health source, researchers found that if we replace half a serving of butter, cheese, bacon, or any other animal product with an equivalent amount of avocado, we can significantly lower our risk of heart attack and stroke. And that was actually um, written in the Journal of the American Heart Association. So that's a very good journal. Now, the study participants who ate one half cup of avocado twice a week had a 16% lower risk of developing cardiovascular disease. Again, that's CVD and a 21% lower risk of coronary artery disease. So, wow, that is really a great reason to include avocados regularly in your diet, except for the fact that they are expensive, but it would be more expensive to have a heart attack or more expensive to be in the hospital. Now, the, the key to the avocados is the healthy fat. So the association between avocado consumption and lower CVD risk doesn't mean that avocados are like statins. It just suggests that we need to replace foods that contain unhealthy saturated fats like animal products with foods that contain healthy monounsaturated fats such as avocados. So an avocado is what they call a heart healthy move. Now, there is a caveat, you know, just like anything that it sounds too good to be true, it, we have to, you know, look under under the sheets here. And as good as avocados are for you, but they are not low in calories. So a single serving of an avocado, which they say is two tablespoons, I couldn't ever just eat two tablespoons, I want the whole avocado, it contains 50 calories and five grams of fat. But if you eat a cup of a sliced avocado, or you eat the entire Haas avocado, which is the most common kind, and those are the kind that I normally eat, that's 200 calories and about 20 grams of fat. Now, if you eat a Florida avocado, they are so much bigger, and they are probably twice the calories and twice the fat. So probably uh, one of those big avocados uh, are going to be about 400 calories and 40 grams of fat. So you don't want to add avocado to a heavy meal or eat too much avocado all the time unless you're trying to gain weight. So, you know, if you're in a movie and you need to gain 40 pounds, it'd probably be great. But you could use, again, the avocado to replace other sources of fat in your diet. Again, the butter, the cheese, ham, bacon, or any other animal product, you know, any meat that you probably eat. Now, some people really like the creamy texture of a ripe avocado because um, a lot of people think it, it's almost like a butter. But some people call that texture too sticky and they prefer an avocado when it's you know harder and mixed with other foods. But one thing we all need to know about sticky, that the sticky texture of, of an avocado or a banana or pot uh, potatoes, for example, those are all really healthy and good because they are high in soluble fiber, 
and that lowers that LDL cholesterol. That's the bad cholesterol that you want to keep low, and it regulates your blood sugar. So I think that's a positive. So how do you like to eat your avocados? Well, for me, I can just, you know, half an avocado and I love it on salads. I like just to scoop it out. I put it on sandwiches, uh, avocado toast. You know, that is such a big deal. Now you go to restaurants, you pay a lot for avocado toast, but it's so easy to make. Instead of spreading butter on your toast, just mash up the avocado, put a little bit of salt and pepper. If you, if you like truffles, you can get that truffle salt. It makes it really good. And then I always squeeze a little bit of lemon juice or orange juice or if you like it, spicy hot sauce. And that makes such a great avocado toast. If you want to eliminate, for example, eggs are really good for you. But if you don't want the uh, cholesterol-laden yolk, then you could break an egg into a nonstick skillet. Put a tiny bit of uh, extra virgin olive oil to cook it over low heat. Then take out the yolk and put the avocado in there. And you'll have an egg and avocado, you know, and season it however you want. You could also use avocado as, um, as a place, you know, in, in place of mayonnaise on sandwiches. And then, you know, put it on some whole grain bread or some rye bread or something, some kind of bread that is going to be healthy, like pumpernickel, something for you. Of course, my favorite thing of all for avocados, and maybe you feel the same way, is guacamole. People used to call me guacamole mama because uh, I did have an avocado tree, and I was just having avocados coming out of my ears, basically. And so I was making avocado, uh, guacamole all the time. And I mash it up. I add lime juice, cilantro. I like cilantro. Some people don't. So if, you, if people don't like cilantro, you can either eliminate it or you could use um, substitute basil if you'd like that. You put some hot pepper flakes, you know, some pepper, and um, you've got it. And you can just use that as a dip or a spread or whatever. And, you know, that hot sauce, Put a little hot sauce in it and make it a little spicy. But, you know, the, the lime juice really, lemon juice and lime juice really add to it. Well, there we have it. Um, when we come back after the business bite, we're going to talk about butterflies. I have a lot of butterflies and I've been planting milkweed and I'm hoping to have more monarchs crossing through my garden because I'm actually in a monarch area. So we'll talk about monarchs and where they go in the winter and what we can do to take care of them. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. I will be back. Be the star you are. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. If you're a boss and you have unhappy, underachieving employees, the problem is probably you. These are some ideas that might help you to be a better boss. You want to be a role model. You have to set the pace for your company. You talk regularly about job performance with your employees and make your workers feel like they are the most important people because they really are. Without them, you don't have a company. Let your employees know that their opinions are valued. Ask them questions and then listen. 
Don't micromanage. Praise often and criticize only when it's necessary, but offering very important feedback, positive feedback. Hire talented people. Great bosses surround themselves with smart, savvy employees because your workforce is a reflection of who you are. So you need to choose and manage wisely. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another Business Bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's Cynthia Bryan, Bryan with an I, dot com. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Bethestarur.org. Dare to care. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Well, my wonderful engineer, Josh, just gave me some insight on how I might be able to recover my LinkedIn. So I'm going to be doing that right after the show. So wish me luck, everybody. But now this is such a a, a sweet, I think a sweet finale for our show. We're going to talk about monarch butterflies and who doesn't like monarch butterflies or any butterflies for that. Monarchs are these large, brilliantly colored butterfly, and they are among the most easily recognizable butterfly species that call North America home. They have two sets of wings and a wingspan of three to four inches. And their wings are a very deep orange. They have black borders and veins, and they have little white spots around the edges. So I know you have seen them. The underside of the wings is a very pale orange, Male monarchs, I really can't tell them apart, but, you know, supposedly they have two black spots in the the center of their hind wings, and the females don't, so you have to get pretty close to do those. And those spots are scent glands that help males attract female mates, and females have thicker wing veins than males, so the butterfly's body is actually black with some white markings. But destruction of habitat and rising temperatures fueled by the climate crisis are increasingly threatening the species. Uh, When they're caterpillars, monarchs feed exclusively on the leaves of milkweed, and that is according to the National Wildlife Federation. But droughts have limited the growth of milkweed. In fact, I tried planting 
uh, seeds of milkweed earlier in the spring and not a single one came up. I'm going to try again in the fall uh, to get those going. But I do have a couple milkweed and it's it's important that we try to, all of us as gardeners, put them in our gardens. Now, increased temperatures have really triggered earlier migrations, and there's also been an increase in the use of uh, herbicides, particularly on corn and soybean crops, and that has caused a severe milkweed decline in the United States. But scientists are hopeful that the monarch will be able to withstand all of this human-induced climate crisis given its exceptionally large geographic range, which I will be talking about shortly here. But the the species has been found to be highly dependent on environmental cues for the critical life cycle events. The butterfly's reproduction, the migration, and the hibernation, they all interlock with seasonal changes, which um, global warming is disrupting all of it. Now, they are, are, they are right now on the endangered list, and they might be uh, getting ready for extinction. And that is a very scary thing. Um, and that was just listed. It's, you know, it's, these are one of nature's most extraordinary, extraordinary creatures. There is still time to act. Uh, and this is the executive director of the Xerces Society, for invertebrate conservation. And this is a science-based conservation organization that protects the natural world through the conservation of invertebrates and their habitats. Scientists are recommending promoting the growth of milkweed, maintaining dense forests, and reducing the use of pesticides Well, in the monarch range. But the reality is we should be reducing pesticides as much as possible everywhere, everywhere. So when we're talking about their migration, it is one is it's really astonishing how they actually migrate to the 10,000 foot high conifer forests of Michigan, Mexico in mid-November. There are like swirling orange and black clouds that appear in the skies above the monarch butterfly biosphere reserve. It is a 139,000 acre sanctuary that was carved out of the transvolcanic belt by the Mexican government back in 2008. Millions of butterflies alight on these firs, pines, and junipers. And as the, you know, in the, it's late in the year, so the temperatures are gonna dip towards freezing. These beautifully patterned insects they fall into a sort of hibernation after they have migrated several thousand miles. The area has um, a microclimate that the, the monarchs need to slowly consume their stored fat and to stay alive. Now, only in the last couple of decades have scientists began probing the central mystery of this odyssey. They, they've always wondered how do monarchs find their way to a tiny patch of forests in Mexico. But a breakthrough came when researchers discovered that the butterflies possess a finely calibrated navigational system, which consists of a light-sensitive sun compass. It's embedded in their antennae, and it directs them due south from their summer habitat in the eastern and central United States, and also southern Canada, 
And they also have this internal clock that prevents them from straying off course as the sun moves across the horizon. Now, they still don't know how they find their precise way to the overwintering sites. Um, that's what neurobiologists say. They, they don't know exactly how they actually find the site, but they have a theory. And the theory is that the butterflies use natural barriers, kind of like people would when you're traveling. They use the Appalachian Mountains, the Rockies, the Atlantic Ocean, and they channel themselves from north to south towards Michigan in Mexico. And they also are capable of flying 85 miles in a day. And they rely mostly on an olfactory cue to reach the Mexico preserve. Now think about that. Think about how tiny these these butterflies are, you know, and they can go 85 miles. I wouldn't be able to walk 85 miles in a day. Research um, also suggests it may take three or four consecutive generations for monarchs to fly north out of Mexico and go as far as southern Canada before they can return to the overwintering site the following year. Um, the researchers captured monarchs from 17 states and two Canadian provinces, and then they tested their wings for atomic variations, or isotopes, as they're called, of uh, carbon and hydrogen. And um, that the carbon and hydrogen was actually acquired from the milkweed because monarchs lay eggs on the flowering plant. It has like a little yellow flower. And then they feed on the nectar. And then it also furnishes toxins that make the insect unpalatable to predators. So I love that fact that when they eat the milkweed, their wings, their whole body becomes um, toxic. So nobody's going to bother them because they can't eat them. So the researchers compared each butterfly's carbon and hydrogen isotope signature with isotope signatures of milkweed varieties in different parts of North America. And then they drew a map that traced the insect's origins and their movements. What they found is monarchs don't fly at night when they migrate because they have to be warm. And so they absolutely have to have the sun to, um, to actually orient themselves. So if it's not sunny, they're not going to be able to fly in the right direction. Now, some do fall victim to strong winds. So sometimes the winds come up and they blow them off course. And in fact, there have been reports of butterflies that have been pushed into the Gulf of Mexico and have landed on oil rigs. Now, I think that would be pretty, pretty strange to be in the Gulf of Mexico and to have butterflies, you know, landing on your oil rig. But in any case, this epic migration is definitely facing increasing threats from the pesticides and climate change, as I was saying earlier. The warming temperatures could be affecting cues that trigger the butterflies' autumn and spring journeys. And also, farmers across the United States have been ripping up milkweed, and the butterflies absolutely depend on that. They do not have any other food that they eat. So they have to have, um, they have to have milkweed. And so if you're pulling up the milkweed, then they're not going to be able 
to survive. So that's, um, you know, that's a scary thing. And as I was saying that I'm in a milkweed um, area, evidently here in California, there's a certain swath of land that is like the uh, monarch's migration trail. And actually, my little mini farm where I am is right on it. So our, our little town actually planted a monarch butterfly garden with all the things that um, all butterflies or pollinators like, but especially the milkweed. And we've seen lots of monarchs that have come there. So that's rather exciting. So um, as we know, these warming temperatures are affecting the cues that trigger the butterflies' autumn and spring journeys. And then, as I said, the farmer has been ripping up the milkweed and in Mexico, the protected overwintering sites, they have been under siege from illegal loggers and even avocado plantations. Here I was just talking about avocados. Well, some plantations are in that buffer zone. So they pulled up the milkweed to plant avocados, which obviously is a very lucrative financially um, as far as a, um, as a crop. Now, last January... Uh, a man named Homero Gomez Gonzalez, and I remember reading all about him. It was terrible. He was a manager of the Biosphere Reserve, and he waged just a vocal campaign. He was trying to protect the land for the monarch butterflies in Mexico. He was found strangled to death, and he was dumped in a well. And then there was a tour guide who was leading people through the forest to see the monarchs, um, and again, he was also someone who believed in protecting the land. He was fatally stabbed a few days later, and none of these crimes have been solved. And there hasn't been a motive that has been definitely, you know, definitively established. But um, people feel that it is it was uh, gangs or farmers or the people who, you know, the loggers. They were not really sure. So tensions actually are really rising on the border near Mission, Texas, where we build the wall. It was a privately funded anti-immigration group. They constructed a three-mile-long barrier along the river, and it destroyed the habitat that contained the plants that the migrating monarchs feed on. So um, there were people, obviously, who opposed the wall, and they had been noticing in migra a decline in migratory populations uh, before. But after the wall, they saw literally almost the end of the migration. And they're saying that because of this, um, the end of the migration could happen within the lifetime of all, all of us to alive today. So monarch populations in Mexico have fluctuated in the past 10 years, and they are right now at the lowest level ever recorded in the states of Mexico and Michoacan, um, uh, where butterflies occupied only about 1.66 acres of that 139,000 acres that they were once on. And that was in um, that was in 2014. Now, this past year, during the 21 overwintering season, the monarchs covered about five acres. So the observation was encouraging and experts in advocacy, maybe we do have cause for optimism. 
But researchers are also estimating that 6.5 million to 8.1 million butterflies could occur and could occupy an acre of the reserve. So maybe we haven't destroyed them. We have. To, we hope we haven't destroyed them yet. So there's few natural phenomena that are as mesmerizing than millions of monarchs in the skies on this journal journey to Mexico. It's kind of a remarkable piece of biology. We need to understand and preserve it. And if you want to read some more about the monarchs, I suggest that you um, check out the Smithsonian, um, uh, the Smithsonian magazine because they have done studies and uh, things about it. So that's, uh, that is pretty helpful. Well, that is our show for today. I thank you so much for joining me, Cynthia Bryan, here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I hope that you can have a happy week and you can change your life for the better, make your dreams come true, and not get hacked on LinkedIn. <laughs> for more information about me, visit CynthiaBryan.com. You can also purchase any of my books there as well and visit um, the charity site, bethestarur.org. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate you. I want you to see beyond your physical being. Know you are already the star you dreamed of becoming. Cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. And until next week, when we play again in our Star Style Playground, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. I am Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you to be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self and make it a great week. And maybe have a root beer tonight to celebrate life. Thanks for joining me. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.